for our Canadian lifters. Pure passion, real results, what you put in your body should matter. Pure Vita Labs PVL supplements are clean, tested, and approved. Powering athletes for over 25 years. They also power the KOTL podcast. You could trust PVL. Use code KOTL15 for partnership pricing at PVL.com. My man, last time we had you, you were like 12 kilo heavier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, dude, you look like a different person. And that Thanks, is, man. I appreciate it. And, and look at the, the drip you got on right now, man. You look, you're looking good. You're Thank living you. your best life right now. <laughs> this is the, uh, it's cold in Colorado. Uh, it's like 20s outside snow uh covering the ground you know what's crazy yeah in toronto we have like no snow right now really which is crazy. like green grass yeah like this isn't all of canada though they got like like in quebec alberta saskatchewan crazy snow but around the toronto region around the great lakes like nothing it's nuts man it's january we got no snow it's grass i'm walking around like this is this should not be Mm -hmm. i don't know what's happening it's kind of scary I, I was talking to, uh, I had an Uber last night and my man came from, I forget where he came from. Some, I think it was Pakistan even. And um, he's telling me what the weather back home, like, dude, at some point in my life, I need to move somewhere where it's nice weather. I was like, but in five years time, I might not need to move. Because <laughs> no in January, kidding. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I paid my dues with winners and we're not even having a winter and it's already January. So like, if I just have snow in February, I could, mm-hmm. all right, I'll take a month of snow. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's the, um, it's the contrast that I really like, you know, being in Colorado, we get like four seasons, you get like a real summer, a real fall, like real winter. It's good. I like it. Dude, in Canada, we can have four seasons in one day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You wake up, it's sunny and nice snowstorm hit and it it gets like a little more chilly which would be the fall snowstorm hits and it's holy shit. Like it it could be all in one day. I think it's a lot like Colorado though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, no contrast here if anyone wants to come <laughs> that's the non-contrast that i'm hoping for at some point but florida's a little crazy but that's a whole nother uh, but, but we'll digress yeah. that's a little different but, but we digress so um brace man let's talk about this we've obviously had eric on and talked about like the weight cutting and your different goals etc but yeah for anyone listening who who you know, it was relatively new to powerlifting. Bryce having won IPF World Championships, massive showdowns in USAPL, um, you know, like, like against Ashton Rouska and some of these legendary battles you had versus Becky, like some legends in the game. You've gone head up in the battle of the 105s. This dates back to 2017 in Belarus, 2018 in Calgary at IPF Worlds, um, where we had multiple 105s who had all broken the open world record total all clash on the on the platform. It's very unique. I can't remember now exactly. We had like three or four people who had broken the open world record total, and we're going to clash on the platform to sort out who was number one. And um, and obviously, you taking a world title in 2018 and whatnot. So it was exciting to see. And then time had passed, and um, obviously, with the federation split and different weight classes to choose from, and initially. You decided, you know what? I'm going to go from 105 all the way down to 90 kilos. And that is a fucking massive drop, my friend. 15 kilos. How many pounds is that? 30, 33. 
Yeah. That, that's a massive, that's like that 33 pounds of body weight is something you do if you're like prepping for a bodybuilding show, let alone, <laughs> let alone powerlifting. So when, when this first happened, um, maybe talk to us about the decision to go to 90, how it went, like the cutting process. And then, and then the mega nats, uh, posted up a decent total, but definitely had to dr- have a drop there. And then obviously going to 93. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So last nationals faced off as a one Oh five against, uh, Ashton and a lot of other fantastic lifters. It's great competition, had a lot of fun. Um, and you know, like as I make decisions about my competition, I'm looking at a little bit about, you know, what my prospects of doing well are like, what are other athletes doing? What are their trajectory? Where do I think I can fit in, you know, as, as advanced athletes, we don't just have like one weight class that we can be in. Usually it's like one or two, you know, it's like the one that you can kind of sit at at your normal body weight. The one, like if you just ate everything in sight for a month, you could gain up into, and then the one you could die down into. And so part of my reason was, look, this guy, Ashton Rouska is, is pulling 900 in training. He's squatting 800 in training. There's, there's no chance that I'll be able to do that where else can I like be competitive? Also, I'm feeling a little bit fluffy. I'm feeling like, you know, going upstairs isn't quite as, as nice as it used to be, you know, like putting on my shoes, kind of just feeling like, ah, I'm just heavier than I want to be. I want to feel a little bit more athletic. It's been a while as a one Oh five, five, six years of, of competition with all this stuff going on with the federations. Can I try to change weight classes? And this was, this was before the split. So I was thinking, all right, 105 to 93, that's not bad. And then USA powerlifting decided to change their weight classes. I'm like, shit, another three kilos. Yeah. All right. Well, three kilos is not so bad. Let's, let's just go for that. And I can always kind of like, you know, go up to the 93s, uh, if I wanted this split is, it's a real shame. I know you guys have probably talked about it a lot. Um, it's a real shame. I just, uh, you know, I kind of wish that it never happened it's kind of splitting the sport in some, some weird ways. And we'll kind of see how like this all matures going forward. But, um, for a lot of athletes who are competing at the high level, you know, like you have a lot of friends, uh, kind of deciding which federation they want to compete in, you know, like maybe loyalty, you know, I've competed in USA powerlifting for my entire time as a lifter. And now, you know, like, am I just going to hop and switch to another federation just because I want to go to the, the world level? you know, like, do I have any allegiance? If I do, like, what does any of that mean? What are my values? You know, oh, I just want to be a lifter. I don't, you know, I don't want to like concern myself with like values and, and allegiances and stuff. I just want to compete and, and have fun. So anyway, um, decided to, to drop to the nineties and it was a long time. It took maybe six months or so to, um, to get down to that next weight class. My strength absolutely took a hit. Um, I wouldn't have, have thought otherwise. Um, but it certainly did. And it was mentally, um, pretty rough to kind of, uh, go through that, but that was kind of my thoughts. I'm kind of getting off topic here. My thoughts are basically, can I, um, feel a little bit better in my body? Can I like what I see in the mirror a little bit more? Can I perhaps perform comparatively better, you know, just like pound for pound, putting up a higher dot score and then, uh, compete with a different group of lifters who aren't Ashton Rouska. The thing is, so like you had gone head to head with Ashton and, and beat him, which in, and this had solidified, like a lot of people think, 
automatically the stronger power lifter wins. And it doesn't always happen like that. Like Ashton's top end strength is like, he's done 955, but like, I know when he's competing it's you, that probably wasn't his top end, but it was, it was crazy. It was astronomical, but when it's close enough, if it's close enough, sometimes you can be handled into a win. And some people don't realize that they think, ah, no, I mean, the stronger guy wins. I remember, um, Gavin, when I first had him on the podcast and we first started talking, I remember Gavin B like, look at the stronger guy wins. I know blah, blah, blah. Then he's been to a couple world championships since then. He's the commentary with me at junior world since then he's seen how the game can be played with handling. And, um, at the, when he, we first started talking, he didn't know who Matt Gary was. And then when he gave the PA dads, he sat beside Matt Gary when we all like 30 of us went out for dinner and he sat beside, he sat beside Matt Gary in the van on the way to dinner. It was like a bunch of us piled in, sat beside Matt Gary at the dinner table. And then by the end of PA nights, he's like, holy shit. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. And, yeah. um, and obviously Matt Gary helped steer you to that victory over, over Ashton where mm-hmm. like, look, a handler isn't going to put hundred kilo on your total. But if you're close enough, if you're close enough, the handler can make the difference. Somebody yeah. drops the ball on one attempt and they don't. Oh, shit. You know, it's it's a big deal. Uh, but to your point, yes, longevity wise, if you go 10 out of 10 times and you're looking at Ashton, you might tell yourself, okay, but I don't have 955 in me. So I got the W and that's great. And that's like, like an iconic win. But you're like future going forward. Let's see what happens, right? Because Ashton's also probably, he's a very muscular dude. You could cut, but that cut to 90. Holy smokes, my friend. Um, were you, you for anyone listening, you came from a bodybuilding background. There's pictures of you where you're absolutely diced on stage. Did you start having flashbacks? Were you like at <laughs> one point, how disciplined did you have to be? What's the cardio and calories like? Was this like a crazy cut where you're like, man, what am I going to feel like on the platform? Because that is a massive, massive drop in body weight. Yeah. You know, just think about this. I think when you're, uh, when you have a certain amount of muscle mass and when you're not a lightweight lifter, I think cutting is a little bit easier. Like even dieting calories aren't like, you know, eating less than 1300 calories or, or something like that. So, um, I think there is a, a body weight factor that just makes it easier for some people. Um, I didn't have to do anything too crazy. So I dieted down to 94 kilos and then we water, like I was 93, seven, a few days and stuff like that. And then we water cut, uh, and did like acute weight manipulation last, um, little bit to get to, um, to 90. But before that, it was basically just, uh, tracking my calories on a daily basis. And I think I was doing an extra like 20 minutes of just regular walking, um, pre-training on three or four days per week. So a little bit of extra daily activity, uh, going on a few extra walks and then, uh, monitoring my calorie intake. And, um, what was the calories that you were eating? It was around 2,200 or so on a daily basis. That's not bad. It's not amazing, but it's not bad. Yeah. Uh, The the thing is, so I've like Lane Norton came to Toronto uh, a couple of weeks ago and we went to, um, I went to a seminar and he was talking about weight cutting and how at a certain point, like you, the goal obviously isn't to lose muscle mass. You work so hard to put on muscle mass, but mm-hmm. at a certain point, if you're going to cut a substantial amount and you need to do it under a timeline, fairly tight timeline, look, look at six months isn't a short period, but to drop 30 some odd pounds, it's not, it's not a long period either. Like you, you will 
feel it. Like you will have to lose some muscle mass that you need to yeah. gain back over time. And um, so I, at one point, bulked up to like 220 range. This is like back in the day when I was doing like, uh, what, another life. But I was doing like feats of strength for like sick kids hospitals on a reality TV show, whatever. So I was like a lot bigger. And then I cut down from that and I took my sweet time doing it because I didn't want to lose any muscle mass. So I was very slowly, maybe uh, like a pound a week or something, wanted to make sure I didn't lose any muscle mass. And then when I got down to the bottom, for my body to get accustomed to being 190 pounds as opposed to 220, that's 30 pounds. So we're, we were similar cut. For my body to be readjust and feel strong again took time. Yeah. Because the body is like, while you're still losing weight, you don't, the body is losing weight and in a deficit, very difficult to feel strong in that period. And then when you baseline out the bottom and stops, you're on maintenance calories. Um, so you're no longer losing weight. Again, it takes some time for the body to be like, have we stopped cutting? We're mm -hmm. not losing. And now we're, it, it takes time to turn it back around. And um, it like was, I'm selling it like, like for anyone listening, if you're ever going to do some drastic cuts like this, it could take like a fucking year to feel back. Like, obviously you're starting to come. I've seen your numbers coming back now, but that was an ambitious, you went on a very ambitious to turn around and be top end. Try to, it was tough talking to Eric Helms. He said, it might've been actually kind of mentally for you to hit 90, come back to 93 it to, it's almost like a refeed of like you throw on extra weight, more calories. You might even mentally be holy shit. That feels amazing. Yeah. Um, you're what you described about kind of strength going away, uh, and then kind of slowly coming back. That's really what I experienced too. Um, there were some moments that were really tough during that prep of just like kind of comparing to the one Oh five numbers that I had hit and some of the stuff in training and being like, all right, well, I, I've done this for a set of five before and I can't do it for a single right now. This is concerning, you know, like, how do I, how do I manage this? And, you know, I kind of had to lean on Eric a lot and he would just kind of say what you said, it, it's going to feel different on the way down than it is when you're at maintenance, you know, let's just auto-regulate now. Let's put the right weight on the bar. Let's get out the other side and kind of get your calories back, get you used to your new leverages, um, kind of find those new positions and then things will start to feel a little bit better. And so there's a good amount of trust in just believing Eric and just kind of going through this process. It was a new challenge, you know? So, um, there were some, some rough moments, but, um, he was absolutely right. Things do feel a lot better when number one, you're on more calories on a daily basis, but number two, you're just kind of used to the way that your belt fits, uh, the way the bar feels on your back, all that kind of stuff. It cannot be understated what it's like to feel like a smaller human being. I know like, it's like people like, ah, it's just weightlifting. That shit gets in your head, man. We all know as powerlifters, when certain numbers get in your head, like when you have certain plateaus, you're about to break through, like that mm -hmm. squat, that's a certain level, whatever. When you get underneath that bar or you lift off on that bench and you're a much smaller human, when you squat and you get under the bar, you feel when you're 30 pounds smaller, man, if you feel smaller, mm -hmm. it is different. And, and when you're 30 pounds smaller, your setup is different. Where your grip on your hands is going to come in and feet placement, everything. Yeah. Things get weird. It's uh, it's not quite like starting all over again, but it sure as hell isn't like the old routine you would have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Um, and, you know, it's it's a chance to like 
play with some stuff. So it's, it's not that everything is going to feel worse. I mean, for a lot of athletes, deadlift starts to feel better when you're a little bit lighter. Um, you're just able to keep the bar a little bit closer to your body. Starting position tends to improve a little bit. Um, so, you know, we know as we look around at weight classes that deadlifts don't get too much higher in the 120s, 110s, uh, 120 pluses than they do in the 90s and, and 100s or 93s and 105s, depending on, by the way, as you guys are talking about weight classes and throwing around those numbers, which numbers are you using? For what do you mean? When, when you just kind of like say, oh, you know, how, how are people doing in like the, the 80s, 90s and the 100s? Or are you saying 83s, 93s, 105s? we got to bounce around. You yeah. gotta like, it's, it's, it's one of these, it's tough. Like to your point, the splits change a lot. So when you're comparing numbers, I mean, it's uh, like, obviously the 82.5 and 83 is very close. Yeah. Yeah. But the difference between like, honestly, the difference between 66 and 67.5. Now that's only a kilo and a half. Mm-hmm. When you're that far down, I've noticed like when we look at, like Penna from France or Eddie Berglund from Sweden. Mm-hmm. When you allowed Eddie, who was the six, six kilo world champion, when you allowed him, when he came in at, I think it was like 70 kilos. So it's four kilos. Up. So we're, it's, it's like a, so six to seven and a half, the USAPL weight would be like in the middle. Yeah. But his total went up like almost 30 kilos. Mm-hmm. Penna in the gym, no cutting is going like 725, 730 on the platform, 700. And he'll cut just a kilo and a half or whatever. Like, you know, the difference when you're that low in body weight, kilo and a half, mm-hmm. it's substantial. Yeah. When you're bigger, one kilo, no, not too crazy. Mm-hmm. But when you're like the difference between 90 and 93, I mean, I, I don't got to tell you, like, how much better do you feel when you, when from being 90 to 93, how much more is like three kilos of body weight? How many more? Cal- it's not just the body weight. Because mass moves mass, but how much more can you eat? And that is literally, people forget like calories is literally a unit of measure for energy. Mm-hmm. Like when your calories go up, you feel stronger. Well, I guess this is literally the gas to your engine. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It made a huge difference. Um, just just having that more room. Um, more importantly, though, the, the cut is a little bit easier. Um, that's something that I feel like I still haven't nailed. It's only been three competitions. I used to be terrified of uh, acute weight cuts. I had a few bad experiences when I first started powerlifting and I was like, never again, never going to cut. I'm just going to, you know, stay under the weight class, you know, just make sure that the last two, three weeks before competition, I'm always at least a little bit under the weight class. Um, and then I had to use the sauna and I competed and it wasn't so bad. And I'm just kind of learning a little bit, but I'm, I'm, pretty far away from feeling like I've mastered that acute weight cut. Um, so this time around, I'm going to be working with Tiffany Ma, bringing her into the mix. She's a RD who's, uh, used to be a powerlifter. Now I think she trains more like sport performance, um, kind of athletes. Um, but she's been working with my wife, Natalie Hansen for quite a while. And they've had a great track record of bringing her to competitions in her best shape. So, um, I'm hoping for the same. So you're, you're, cause I remember back in the day, I remember listening to podcasts. You were talking to Frank, this is going back so far, but like water cutting and whatnot. And yeah, you weren't a big water cutter, but yep. so I could see and and look at, I see the apprehension because there are times when I've, I known people and it's happened to me 
were the prep couldn't have gone better. Like you're just smashing weights in that training and the prep. And you're like, I feel amazing. Yeah. You walk into the competition. You're like, let's fucking rumble. And the last week is when you're water loading. And, and then the day before the cut and everything. And then everything you've done, all your hard work and everything can literally go out the window. That and was it, this prep for me. Oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah. shit. This, so I, I did a, um, did a meet in Arizona to qualify for powerlifting America. And like, I squatted 315 in training. Like I pulled 360, like bench 215. I'm like, all right, it's on like putting everyone on alert. Let's go. And <laughs> I walked out I mean. my first squat and I was like, the bar feels so heavy on my back. This is not good. Um, and it was just, it was not a good meet. You know, it's been a while since I've, I've not had a good meet. I passed my last deadlift because my second was like just RPE 10. And, uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> was not the meet I wanted. Um, but I qualified and that's the, that's the important part. It's, um, that's funny that you like put everyone alert, pull the Russell or he, every who, you know, I don't care who shows up. You start coming on different podcasts talking yeah, yeah. You're like, Oh shit. Here's the, when, when that happened to me, I started adjusting my weight cut and started showing up. First off, I started cutting weight at home just to practice mm -hmm. cutting like cut right down. And then I go to the gym, see how it felt. And then other times I would show up at a competition with no intention of actually lifting, but mm -hmm. weigh in, have to cut in a hotel, weigh in an official weigh in and literally just like did like an opener on each three lifts, bounce people. Like, is that all you're going to do? Like, this is all I came for. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just am trying to get this weight cut thing down. It's like a science, but when you get it, if you got it down pat, where you could be a few kilos heavier and you got like, okay, this is my procedure. Cause this is it. I've seen people who've had a bad experience with water cutting and be like water cutting in general is out, mm -hmm. which you never is kind of a shame too. Cause it could be a weapon if you know how to do it properly. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tough to, you know, cause if there will be other people who will be bigger individuals that you're going against, cause they got, they took the time and got it down for sure. Lip for side, sure. You're, you're gambling. You're gambling every time you do it, but you're also gambling if you just throw it away and be like, nope, I had a bad experience. I'm never going to do it again. Like, yeah. what are you doing to kind of change up? Besides bringing someone else in, have you done some practice cuts, you know, just to see like, okay, well, that worked. Well, that didn't. Well, I know what, does, what doesn't work so far. <laughs> well, that's, the good, that's what, that's the good thing about messing up. I've, yeah. I've been there. I, I want to reduce the amount of like, uh, what you might call like aggressive uh, like water manipulation. So like aggressive dehydration, sauna, um, steam room, stuff like that. And just see if I can minimize that stuff as much as possible. And, you know, just like people are different when it comes to training response. I do think people are different when it comes to acute weight loss response. Some people just can lose less before performance starts getting affected. Other people have a little bit more leeway and sure there's some room in there for optimization. So that's one thing that I'm really trying to do is, is, just figure out how can I come in the heaviest possible? Because I know that, you know, how my belt fits, the amount of muscle mass that I'm able to keep, uh, on my frame, how the bar feels on my back. Like these things have such an effect on, on performance, you know, especially when we're talking squeezing out those extra few kilos, making sure that your numbers in competition match what you're capable of doing in training. Those are kind of some of the things that, that I'm worried about. And it'll probably be a while till I get it right. Do you feel, so moving into the 93s, obviously, did you see the IPF worlds in the battle of 93s? I did actually, that was really cool. I was in the middle of cutting when that was going on too. 
because uh, it was going on at the same time as um, as Nationals was. So um, uh, I'm eating <laughs> I'm eating ice cream because uh, it's it's calories that are super calorie dense and it's liquid. So you know it's not really taking up a whole lot of space in your stomach. And I'm sitting on the couch with some friends and we're watching the 93s uh, go down at IPF Worlds. That was really exciting. Arian, who were you handling in the 93s? Chance. That's right. It was, it was, uh, are you going to be handling chance moving forward? Uh, he hasn't told me uh, or asked me anything for like nationals or anything like that. I think for Sheffield, he's getting someone, uh, from the UK. Okay. Gotcha. And when you were watching this, Bryce, were you telling yourself, was it already in your mind's eye? Were you thinking about going 93s? Cause it's like, it's a hot division. Yeah. At, at that point. No. Um, I was just thinking that, you know, I'm just going to be in USA powerlifting. So I'll, I'll be a 90 kilo athlete. And this is, this is my division. Um, one of the reasons why I decided to go to powerlifting America, you know, number one is the extra three kilos really does help. Uh, and the shot at, you know, making it back to the world championship, like that's all awesome. Um, but the other thing is I started doing some work for USA powerlifting in, uh, revamping their live stream, something I'll, I'll talk more about, um, in the future, but I couldn't both, uh, do that work and then, uh, compete at nationals, you know, it would just be too much. So I still want to be a competitive athlete. I still want to do this work for USA powerlifting. So let me, um, let me switch. And this may solve a few problems at the same time. Yeah. I mean, frick. Listen, I did um, commentary at Worlds and also competed. And doing two things at once can be extremely distracting. Yeah. The worst part of this, talk about water cutting, this works in. I was water loading while on the <laughs> air. And, and, and dog, like three hours on live. I have to pee so bad. It is mm -hmm. insane. And near the end, it's like, holy Jesus, please. And I'm like dying. And as soon as we wrap up like squats and you have a 10 minute gap, I am running to go to the wash. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, it was, I was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I was like, man, I'm not doing that very often, but even just the stress of, I've seen the kind of stress that happens at competitions in terms mm -hmm. of like, um, from the live stream to like the, the event, like, like when th it's not just, you flip a button and it happens. Mm -hmm. Always things pop up and you there's no way you could do both and have live stream stuff you're doing and things pop up and oh by the way you're competing tomorrow or that yeah. day you have to be available mm -hmm. like on the fly when things happen you have to be available to do these audibles it yeah it's a good decision not to try both man i think that would be a disaster for sure right one of them is going to get the ball dropped yeah it's it's difficult enough you know for a lot of these high level athletes who are also coaches who coach some athletes and then uh, go compete, you know, the next day, it's always nice when you compete first and then you can go handle athletes after that. But the flip side is, is difficult. So my hat's off to these high level athletes who can like handle the day before they compete and then, you know, go out there and do their thing. Yeah. That's a, I mean, Joey flex would talk about that work. Cause he's, he was in the one twenties and he was like, by the time he hit the platform and people who think that you don't lose, like you're not using a lot of energy while not handling yeah the stress will definitely get you there sure. it's not just like it is you're loading plates constantly mm -hmm. but when you're in a big firefight and you're handling it is stressful it's on the fly all on you you put in the wrong attempt and you cost somebody else a win it's huge <laughs> yeah. um so you were like 
crunching numbers the whole nine. By the time you compete, yeah, man, you're not sleeping well. You're, you've expended a lot of energy and excitement. And Joey would say, like, look, it, I'm not – like, Joey, like, could lift, obviously. I, I think he – did he squat 750? Was that right? I think I want to say he's – Yeah, I think I remember that. 40 at one point. So he's he's strong, but he would say, like, I knew I was going to make my bones as a coach, and it is going to impact. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a balance. You've almost got to choose. That's why it's difficult for you this whole time. You've been an elite level coach and an elite level lifter. It's got to be a very tough balance. Yeah. Um, when I have athletes who are competing the day before that I compete, I just make sure they're taken care of by someone else. So like I can handle on a Thursday and lift on a Saturday. That's fine. As long as I kind of have that one day of uh, downtime where I can just chill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving into the 93s, when you saw the battle of the 93s, is it enticing that like it's the 93s, do you think in your estimation, the hottest division of powerlifting? Because it's got to be up there. <laughs> Man, every time I like make a decision to try to avoid a competitor, I end <laughs> up in an even more competitive class. Yeah. Well, I-, I mean, that's that's <laughs> when you were like, dude, you could have hit it like from just like in the US alone, chance, Gavin, Jonathan to the world were like um Emil, you know. Sasha, a Gustav. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Um, there's some phenomenal performances happening. Um, and it's cool because we're starting to see like some, some people who have a really standout individual lift, but who are also really well-rounded, you know, like we all know Keiko has a phenomenal bench press. We know chance has a phenomenal deadlift as well. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to see some of these matchups, um, taking place and yeah, it's, it's so competitive. Um, now we have the Sheffield as well. Uh, and right. so I'm not even sure who's going to show up at powerlifting America nationals. I haven't asked them directly, but, um, I really don't know who my competition is going to be when I get there. That's, um, like, does that you're 100% right. It's so this probably won't be the case moving forward. I don't think, I think the they're scheduling gonna, is going to be sure. Case. They're going to move it. Yeah. Right. So, because of the scheduling, it's it's a little tough. It, I, if the scheduling works out in the future, and I think it is going to, where it's like Nationals, then Worlds, then Sheffield. Mm-hmm. And it's just bing, bang, boom. And nothing kind of conflicts. And we then we reset the calendar, and then it's Nationals, then Worlds, and Sheffield. This is just an awkward year. Yeah. And due to that, yeah, you might be showing up at PA Nats. It, it's, does that help? mentally to be like, Hey, fuck it. You know what? I don't know who's going to show up there. So I can't overthink it. Or do you, cause you've been in some tight battles before you're, you're accustomed to this, or do you prefer to know? And you're like, okay, this motivates me when I know who's going to show up. Mm-hmm. You're right. It can go either way for me. It helps not knowing who's going to show up. Uh, it's so easy for me to like, I don't know, think myself in circles about, you know, what my chances are of, of, squaring off against someone based on some lift that I've seen in training. And, you know, you have to go through that process of reminding yourself training lifts are different than competition lists. Anything can happen the day of competition, like focus on yourself, focus on yourself. Um, and so it's nice just not to have to go through any of that back and forth and just focus on myself, show up, do the best I can and see how it goes from there. Just to remind people like Arian, can you let people know how they're doing the world's team um decisions for the u.s well the first round is if you hit the uh you win nationals and you hit the specific uh qualifying total that's listed there um and then the second round goes to people who are competing at sheffield 
who hit this specific qualifying total. And then from there, a third round, then they go back and just put everyone kind of in a, you know, a pool and just rank them by how close I think it's how close you are to that total. Basically, they say Carpino, which is basically just averaging out what the total is at the last three worlds. So you want to know what the the 93s is? Is that what you're asking as well? Yeah. And also like probability wise, because if a I mean, lot I of the pull up the post. Okay. Because if Sheffield ends up very 93 kilo heavy with a, with the lifters, and we already know already Keiko and, um, Chance. and Chance obviously are going to be there from the U.S., so there, there, there's two individuals right off the top. Um, but they, they would be in the second round if they don't go to nationals. So for nationals, right. for the 93s, it's 868. So whoever wins nationals and goes hits that 868 is going to get that first spot. Then from there, it goes to Chance and Keiko. If they don't do nationals, who's going to get it from Sheffield? Then you're only allowed 293. So then the rest of the 93s mm-hmm. go into the alternates. So the, not, the winner... Of USA Nationals, if they hit over 868, is on that team. And um, it's all about who's going to be, because you're allowed two people a weight class. But for that to happen, you need somebody else in another weight class to, to win the Nationals, but not hit the Carpino one, which is the qualifying total. So there's a couple things in play. And I know you gentlemen probably already know this, but like for the listeners, a couple things in play. Um, you need other lifters at PA Nats to not hit those qualifying totals to open it up. Mm-hmm. That's why it's it's kind of dicey. If you're going to Sheffield, you have to weigh that out. Sheffield is such a massive competition, but there's there's a lot of things in play. Like I gotta think, like how confident are you, Bryce, to hit 860? It's 868. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's crunch some numbers. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, because I was gonna ask you, look, your deadlift is moving. But um, the body weight is going to be most affected on bench and squat. Yeah. Uh, well, if the cut goes well, I don't think it'll be too much of a problem. Something like 315, 200, and 360 would be like 875. Um, so on a good day, that would be awesome. It'd be awesome to hit. Yeah. It's basically, if you show up and it's essentially like those other big 93s aren't there, you're you're obviously just looking to clinch that win and do exactly that Carpino one essentially. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm thinking if I'm a Sheffield lifter, there's so many things to focus on for the Sheffield alone. Like you just want to put up your biggest total possible to give yourself a shot at uh, earning some money there at that competition, being at the first Sheffield. Um, that's exciting in and of itself. And I've thought about you know like the problem for a lot of these lifters is it's like a four week turnaround from powerlifting American nationals to Sheffield. If I was in that situation, it's really tough to think about hitting, uh, like essentially a world record performance four weeks, uh, apart from each other. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. This was, this is like a really tough year where people have to decide. And yeah, I was going to say, go ahead. No, I was no, going to say it's tough. It's tough. Then if you, if you bank on, okay, I'll get through through Sheffield and you don't, then you miss out on worlds. And because you missed out on world, you miss out on the following Sheffield possibly. Cause then oh, who knows yeah. what the, who knows what the selection process is going to be, whether you get in or not. So it might be like you're banking on this one Sheffield and then missing out on next year's. That's I know and I, I, you got to think SPDs. I mean, they're trying to get past the Sheffield first before the next one, but you got to think they're also going to tell themselves that. All right. You know, we, some people, the way this rolled out, 
it's exactly the same scenario that Aaron just gave. And that's why these, these wild cards are so important, but how are they going to dole out the wild cards? And right now it's, it's all based off of world records. Who knows if it's going to be based off of world records in the future. Yeah. Um. So it's difficult. Do you, how much attention do you pay towards like dots, GL points, et cetera? Because this is it. Switching federations has switched that for you as well. Not, not as much. Um, I had a goal for a little while of trying to hit a 900 kilo total at 90. Um, and then Jamar Royster was the first person to ever do that, uh, to hit 900 total at 90. I think it was like, like 895 at, at a body weight of 89.5, which is sick. That's the highest 10 times body weight total anyone's ever hit. Um, so as far as like body weight multiples, that was the big thing on my mind. And, and now it's just kind of like focusing on the total, improving my lifts. I, I think I've mellowed out a lot as a lifter in terms of like, you know, some of the numbers that I care about and like chasing world records and stuff. And just like, they'll come if I just put in the hard work. Right. Yeah. A lot of it is in terms of like standings at the end and whatnot. Like I think in the USAPL due to the pro series and um, you know, the standings with dots, et cetera, it kind of shifted some focus there a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like some of these competitions are straight up on dots. You win, lose based off of that. Yeah. But um in terms of the old head to head in the IPF anyways, it's not as much of a focus on that. Cause even their biggest money meet being Sheffield has nothing to do with these. It's yeah. all about like uh, how close you are to the world record. Mm -hmm. and, and if you su succeed it and go past um, who are, what are you expecting from Sheffield in terms of like who wins, who I know not all the wild cards are announced, but from what, you know, I have, I've not seen a more star studded roster of athletes with more incentive to do well than the Sheffield, you know, like just hearing some of the stuff that Taylor and his coaches have talked about, like they've been planning for this performance for like eight months, you know, back, like we, we wanted to hit this certain number, like just so that it, like could land in a good spot for, for Sheffield and, you know, like not raise the world record too much and like, you know, save some, like it's a lot of money and there's yeah. some phenomenal lifters. And I think, um, SPD has done a really good job of making it even, you know, like I think percentage above or below the world record, as far as like, what your potential earnings can be and like how you place that is really fair. I think, um, because these are all high level lifters, um, you know, they all have a good amount of training and it's a, it's a small, well-controlled competition. It's going to be really exciting to watch, um, men, women, like it just, just unbelievable. It is. Um, that's the toughest. Like, how do you make this as fair as possible? Mm -hmm. every single formula you can use from Wilkes to uh good lift points to dots. There's people who are going to be like, I don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's where like Sheffield uh, with SPD, they're like, how do we make this as even as possible with this kind of money? Just say, look at, okay, let's just use the world records. How close are you to history? It is, you know, and, and for some people it's, it's tough. Like some people going into worlds, they had to go all out to win worlds, you know, like chance for instance. 93 is what you're entering. Whereas yeah. other people could be like, I better put, take my foot off the gas a little bit if I can, like Taylor Atwood and be like, I am not. And which is scary that at 790, he did 790 total foot off the gas, except for bench. Mm -hmm. But you could, his squat, his deadlift. I was talking to, and, and obviously Arian being with TSG could speak to this. 
In 2019, when we saw Taylor do 790, he was jumping up in the air after a squat. He was all like, oh my God, this is amazing. He was so like proud of himself. And mm-hmm. then in and then that's 2019. 2022, he's literally sleepwalking to 790. Like yeah. it was like he was, it was like a casual squat, casual dead. And then I asked him backstage, I'm like, it looks like your pulse wasn't even raised for this. And he's like, dude, I my training usually is like five days a week. It was like three days a week. Mm. So this was a casual 790 with casual training, not yeah. crazy training. That's why he could do it casually. It was like, so I'm like, damn, where would you be at? Mm-hmm. The big thing is, is he's got to stay as fresh as possible. Injury as pot, like not as injured, which yeah. is tough because they really push that envelope in terms of, you know, workload. It's, yeah. it's insane. What have you done? Like you had said, like you're like advanced, uh, you're in your mid thirties, like by no means, especially in powerlifting, it's like prime years, but have you switched up training over the years to kind of mitigate injury and sustain yourself? You know, I feel pretty lucky in that regard. Um, I think my technique on all my lifts is pretty sustainable, you know, so it's not like I'm picking up overuse type of injuries. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to respond pretty well to a a pretty moderate amount of training volume, you know? So like my number of squat sets per week is usually between like 10 to 12 or something like that. Probably similar for bench press deadlift is, is like six to eight sets, something like that. So, um, it's pretty sustainable. We've leaned pretty heavily on the thing that will make me going better. The thing that will make me better going forward is an increase in muscle mass, you know, other things being equal, let's see if we can make me bigger. So a lot of focus on, um, what might be called bodybuilding work, you know, heavy, uh, belt squat, heavy leg press, heavy machine, chest press, dumbbell bench, like stuff like this, just grow the muscle groups as much as possible. And then use low to moderate reps on the main lifts to just kind of express that strength. And that's been a pretty solid formula for the last six years or so. There's been a few small changes. Um, I kind of had the suspicion that my abs were a weak point for me. And so we've been putting more work into abs, uh, to kind of help like stabilize the deadlift, you know, like sometimes feel like you're just getting pulled forward, um, by the bar. And Mm so working on my abs, I think has helped me kind of maintain position under heavy load a little bit better. Uh, But that's really the only experiment I think we've been running lately. Do you do refresh my memory? Are you double overhand hook grip? I am mixed grip. Okay. So I'm a mixed grip as well. Have you started developing asymmetrical due to that? Do you feel? Yeah, for sure. Same. Um, I think- <laughs> Same. And I don't know how to work around it. Like do you do back off work with straps, double overhand or cause I can't hook grip. It comes out of my hands. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, I never gave a hook grip like a, a fair shot as far as like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see if I can make this my main grip. I just, my hands aren't big enough. Like I can barely get my middle finger on, um, on the nail of, of my thumb. It just kind of doesn't, doesn't hold. So, yeah, I mean, there are some imbalances that build up, uh, you know, like differences in like your, your rhomboids on either side differences in, you know, like your forearms even. And I think as long as you, like the bar isn't rotating on you and things aren't affecting you for like squat and where the bar sits on your back. Like some asymmetries are fine. These exist in, in all kinds of sports. And it's not like you're going to hurt yourself um, by being asymmetrical. Cause what I found is my right hip. Now, when I squat, 
I have to change a little bit because I will start helicoptering a little bit. Like my oh. right side is tighter. I think my right hip, I think I've literally the bone structure due to the stress for like I started powerlifting in like 2008. Yeah. The stress for years has like changed the actual structure, the way the hip pops into the socket. I could feel it in all different and I could still squat and deadlift and whatnot, but it is not just a muscularity thing. Yeah. It's the actual structure itself is starting to shift a little bit. Yeah. And um, I don't know how you combat that necessarily. Like, how do you pull yourself back into, you know, the opposite way? Like, I've given myself scoliosis over the years. What the hell yeah. is going on here? But it is like when you overhand and you lock up, it's just inevitable. You know, you're, you're under stress every single week. It's like the freaking people who... uh you know, I forget which cultures that like put their feet in the shoes and they start like literally changing oh, the yeah. shape of the Old, shoes. Like Chinese foot binding. Yeah. Right. And then I've seen other things like where they've done it also with their heads, trying to elongate heads and skulls. Mm-hmm. And you could do anything with your body. If you're dead, if you're deadlifting like this, putting stress on your body, like this over and over day after day, week after week, month after month for like a decade and a half. Yes. The bone, everything, like the actual structure itself will start mm-hmm. shifting on you and changing on you. And I can feel it if I jog or whatever. It's not crazy, but it starts telling me if I'm like this now, what am I like in 20 years if I keep doing this? Yeah. I don't know. Just, just switch your grip. Switch, I, your, uh, switch your overhand to your underhand. Have you tried that? It feels so awkward. I Dude, it's the craziest. It's the craziest. I um, I think I could, I think the biggest thing I'm going to, tr- I, I start doing, like I have started doing is double overhand hook grip with like straps and just fucking, mm. I'll do it like that. Yeah. yeah. Um. And try to even out as much as I can, but it is like, you have to, these are things that you have to start doing eventually to mm-hmm. start. It'll catch up to you. I remember asking a bunch of people, but like a lot of the people that I'm talking to are lifters that are still like in the open in their twenties and thirties, but it probably won't catch up to you until like later in life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, sure. uh, yeah. That was one of those things. Like one of the reasons why I wanted to drop some body weight is I'm 35. Um, I, don't want to be 105 for the rest of my life. You know, I, I want to be a little bit lighter and, you know, like post powerlifting competition, I want to be able to be mobile and, you know, like be comfortable in my body and, and have a, this vehicle that's going to serve me for, you know, a very long time uh, to come. So like performance is certainly a part of it, but also just longevity and, and respect my body. I mean, how, uh, this is what I felt when I started like doing the cut, down to 190 pounds oh you couldn't you couldn't keep a shirt on me (laughs) (laughs) i was it was i was the most humble of of, of a gentleman are you all of a sudden like okay all right actually i don't see a heck of a lot of shirtless pics on you on on your instagram you've been been relatively helpful it's not my style you know but but at the same time, I'm trying to be a little bit more like comfortable in my body and, and certainly being lighter has helped me with that. Honestly, like I feel, uh, I feel for men and women in powerlifting in fitness, you know, like there's such a standard that, you know, like this mold that everyone quote unquote should look like, you know, like you have to both be strong and be lean, uh, and like have big muscles and stuff like that. And, and, I think having that as a standard is just really tough for everyone. It's, it's like this impossible standard um, that social media has certainly helped to contribute with. Um, so I want, like, I would love to love my body weight at every size, you know, like 
regardless of what my size is, just kind of be accepting and comfortable of my body. But certainly I'm more accepting when I'm leaner, you know, and, and this is the trend for just about everyone, you know, like closer to competition, people are starting to get leaner. You see more shirtless pics, you see the pictures post weigh in all that kind of stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and it just ebbs and flows further out from competition and closer to competition. So dude, I shit you not. I had a podcast and, um, Bob Matthews came on. My man was shirtless for the podcast. Okay. <laughs> My man was shirtless for the podcast. He was, he was feeling himself and he was, and look, he's diced. He's, he's jacked. God bless. I, if I look like Bob Matthews, I would be shirtless as well. <laughs> but, um, it is when you're in this, it's like, it's powerlifting, but still like, like the fitness industry, we know tons about nutrition. We know tons about obviously weightlifting and the way you appear you sell more programs than you as a coach will know if you look like someone wants to look or your athletes, at least, at least your athletes, right? Or, and you're strong, someone wants to be strong. That's why a guy like Russell Orr, he has no worries in mm -hmm. terms of like mm -hmm. selling product or whatnot. You see Russell Orr, he, and you're like, how do I get like you? How do I get strong like you? How to get a body like you? It's difficult to not fall into that. And in terms of traction, but when you post, when Russ goes shirtless, you know, or Jessica Bittner, like there's, she's like, got for like impossible in terms of body physique, obviously like not totally impossible because she's done it, but like they are the pinnacle mm -hmm. in terms of physical specimens. No, no doubt. Cause they're world champions like that. Right. But in terms of like when you hop online social media, you have access to that. And it's, that is going to get the most pop just in terms of your posts, whatever you're selling. If you have coaching services, or if you're on a product line, like when Jessica Bittner, posts about SBD or posts about, you know, any of her different products that she's pushing massive push. So there's yeah. gotta be like a little bit of you, you know, in terms of capitalizing, there has to be a little bit more incentive in terms of like, look it. So 105, I'm a world champion, et cetera. But as a 93, mm -hmm. probably get some traction if I want to, and it is inspirational, not even just in the vain point of view, but like, if you see somebody and they're like in their like if you're at 35 now. Imagine you're like 45 and you're looking yeah. like you look. That's yeah. inspirational. If he could do it, I could do it. For sure. You know for what I mean? sure. I, this last year or so, I like I've been taking a really hard look at like uh social media, like what it's like to be an influencer. What do I want my relationship with like the internet to be like, you know, in the next 10 years or so? And and like trying to navigate this really difficult landscape of I want to talk about powerlifting. I want to post my training. I want to like be friends with all these people I've met around the world on social media, but I also want to avoid a lot of the negative things about, you know, comparison and self-image and uh, you know, like needing to use like use my body to sell something, you know, um, I don't really have a whole lot of answers, but I've been very mindful of like what that's been like for me in the past and how I want it to be in the future. And I don't want to be that person who's like using my physique or even my strength to really sell something. Um, and I think it's tough for powerlifting coaches, like information alone isn't enough these days, most of the time, uh, to sell something you know, you have to be strong or be good looking or be diced or something like that as, as a vehicle. It's not just about your skill set. you know, your experience. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite the, because I, I see both sides because 
it is still fitness, right? It is still like we're weightlifting. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is like, well, well let's see your muscles. You're yeah, weightlifting, right? Or, right? or you're doing nutrition. Well, I hope you're in good shape then. Let me see mm-hmm. what you look like yourself. Like it's very difficult. It's, um, but in the end of the day, you're also like you're an athlete uh, posting up numbers. It's tough too, because like you said, I don't want to be just on strength, but then you're also an athlete. You're also like your number one athlete. Speaking of athletes, what athletes do you have right now that you're excited about that we should be looking out for? Uh, I just started working with Rico uh, Biden from, oh, no kidding. from yeah, 93s yeah. from France. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited to see his prep into French nationals in 10 weeks or so. Um, so that'll be fun. Uh, I've got another athlete from Belgium who's going to Euros there as a 105. So excited about both those guys. And um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Rico, um, I've seen him at Junior Worlds and like he's got a hell of a lot of talent on him. And I yeah. think if I'm not mistaken, didn't he use the box in at the French Nationals? Did he tell you his background with that? Yeah, yeah. Some boxing and then some soccer before that, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's a, who do you find athletes with an athletic background in previous sports are easier to coach? Yeah. For many reasons, athletes with, with an athletic background are easier to coach. Uh, they've worked with coaches for longer. You know, they know the value of hard work a little bit more. And I think they have this basic movement library, uh, so that it's a little bit easier to teach them new skills. I feel like they acquire technique changes a little bit quicker. Um, so yeah, I mean, for those reasons and just for like the general athleticism, you know, the increase in muscle mass from starting a little bit earlier, those athletes usually have a leg up in some way. Um, yeah, well said for sure. Like there's something to be said about coachability. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you come to a coach, some people, they just like, doesn't matter what RPE you give them, they're doing their own thing. And you're like, All yeah. right, well, that's kind of what I said, but it's kind of not as well. Or the day of, um, you can try to calm them down and they know how to get calm and get into the pocket or they just don't, they haven't, mm-hmm. they're not used to the big game. They're not used to some trash talking, pulling them out, some pressure guys like Russell or he talk about, he likes to do some, some talking, raise the heat, the temperature of the room. Then when you show up on that day, oh, he's doing things purposely to be a little louder, a little whatever, to keep raising the temperature and the pressure. And then if you start falling behind and he's pulling ahead, he's letting you know he's pulling ahead, not by trash talking, but just being loud and being Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. that it's like, well, these things happen. Whereas when you come from a background of competitive sports, probably a little harder to pull you out of pocket like that. You've grown up in that environment. So it's a little more difficult. It doesn't mean you can't learn these skills. It's just easier as a coach. Yeah. Um, Having an athlete who's been through that. You just have time, you know, the advantage of time and practicing these like intangible skills. Let's play the name game. I'm going to drop some names and um, you tell me either like just one or two words or whatever the heck. First thing that comes to mind when I drop a few names at you. Okay. And if you got some names that come to mind when I'm pulling these out, you can go ahead and drop in the name game as well. All right. Kind sir. First one off the top, Jonathan Keiko. Dangerous man. That bench is unbelievable. Uh, it just, it's hard for me to see how it happens and it's so consistent. Uh, dangerous. How about chance Mitchell? determined uh i have very rarely ever seen a harder worker someone who wants it more 
And that drive has just continued uh, ever since he actually started working with TSA uh, back in 2015 or something like that. And even then, just his tenacity, his drive to be better uh, has just been something that's carried him through. So, yeah. Emil Krastev. I met. I'm giving more words than than just that's a few. okay. Sorry, I'm they always the do. We always do. <laughs> <laughs> I met Emil uh, a while ago, and um, he was a, a totally different lifter than he is now. So it's just really exciting to see uh, where he's come. Oh, sorry. Nope. I'm thinking of Gustav Hedlund. I had not heard of Emil Krastev at all, and Pete Spence had to tell me like, what are you doing? You're missing out on this guy. He nearly won worlds. Uh, so I don't know much of anything about him. Yeah. He, um, he was the dark horse going into 2022 worlds because previously, you know, like his total had jumped so much. It was a little misleading because he kept hitting, he hit 847 and a half, like twice in 2021, he was better than 847 and a half the second time around. There was progress, just didn't see it on the platform. So his total, and this happens, were so his total on the surface level appeared to have done a big jump when reality-wise, potentially he he had more in him. And you mm-hmm. see that sometimes. You know, lifters where you're like, well, looking by totals, you know, he would have to jump 50 kilos. Yeah, probably actually only jumping 25 because he's mm-hmm. capable of, he's already improved off of that. It mm-hmm. just didn't transpire on that one given day. We only compete twice a year. We don't have like 16 games, like a football or 82, like hockey or whatever. So yeah. it's, it's the, the data points aren't there. So people can creep up on you to your point, like Emil Krastev at Worlds when he takes a silver medal. It's like, holy shit, where'd this guy come from? He'll be at Sheffield uh, as yes, well. That's yeah. right. Yeah, he got the Sheffield invite. And I believe they dubbed him like, the dark horse mm-hmm. or like you could slay or the sleeper, whatever those terms, like you what a don't. good nickname, man. Love the it. dark horse. I don't, I don't know who it came from at some point. There's a battlefield and some guy rode in on a dark horse and mm-hmm. surprised everybody. Yeah. Obviously something like that. There's some kind of story like that, but it's true. It sounds like, like, yeah, he's battle tested battle already. Um, I was going to ask you Gustav Hedlund, but to your point, you already said that, but um, so check. How about Gavin Aiden? Hockey. Uh, I, I wanted to not say it, but it like very cocky, you know, uh, his strength backs it up, you know, so it's not like it's coming out of nowhere. Um, but he has so much self-confidence in like a different way that I've seen other lifters, like very outwardly oriented, very like, I'll fight anyone that's coming. Like, you know, no one can beat me kind of stuff. Like, not that it's a bad thing. I think that's fuel for a lot of athletes to really just be their best or, you know, maybe it's, it has another purpose, you know, like it's advertising or something like that. Uh, I really haven't gotten too much of a chance to talk to, to Gavin. I did have a, a podcast early on that, that never went out, but I was kind of talking about people's perceptions about um, the IPF versus USA Powell thing split. Gavin was one of the guys that I brought on. And so that was really like one of my only exchanges with him. Um, but from the outside, uh, definitely seems cocky. Yeah, he's um, and he's got he's got the youthful exuberance to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like in terms like where does it come from? Well, first off, he's I think he's twenty four. So like you know when you're when you get really good when you and you're really young, man, it that's what happens. You get yeah. cocky. You get cocky. only going up. You yeah. start to see what you're doing in, in training on the platform, and just like no one can stop me. And he has um, an outgoing personality where yeah. if you meet him, you like him. Handsome guy. 
bodied up, strong, and he's 24. Mm-hmm. You feel like you got the world, the world's your oyster. So you feel this way, right? Life eventually, when you get a little older, whatever, you might handle yourself a little differently. But yeah, man, he's riding a wave of positivity and he feels good about himself. No question about that. Um, how about Matt Gary? Legend, man. Uh, I still feel like, uh, you know, a lot of people these days don't know the impact that he had on attempt selection um, and stuff like that. I know he's working on a few things that might help bridge that gap for, um, for some people, but, um, just a legend and, and what a nice guy, like no one sends Christmas cards anymore, but I get a Christmas card from him every year, uh, which is a handwritten note, you know, like, hope you're doing well, you know, can't wait to see you. And so, um, speaking of people who have like taken some of the like dangers of social media seriously and like kind of established some inner rules of how he wants to manage that. Dude has figured out a formula to enjoy life, not let the stress of social media get to him, keep up with the people that he wants to keep up with, and just a real light for the power thing community. So um, if you don't know him, look him up. Uh, Matt Gary is a good dude and his wife, Susie. Um, it's powerlifting is so much of recency bias. And, and um, because people come in, the cycle over is like two years. So mm-hmm. people come in and out of the sport so quickly and a guy like Matt Gary, who's an older guy in his fifties and isn't going to be on social media that crazy. You know, I posted before, like not all legends and icons in our sport are going to have a big social media presence. But if you don't know who got Matt Gary is, then you don't know like the sport. He is literally an icon of our sport, a legend of the sport. I think I posted him one time and Gavin said, if all of these other guys are goats, Matt Gary's the hyena. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh shit. There was like, <laughs> and there you go. Right. Cause like he, Gavin was young in the sport, hadn't known everybody yet. And then he started learning who's who. And he's like, oh shit. And then he's like, all oh, right. So this is it. That's why I, I do like having a platform where you can tell people stories that deserve like, listen mm-hmm. guys, if you guys don't know this, we need to tip our hat to some of these people from the other generations that are still around today to try remaining relevant in the sport since the eighties. Yeah. Try that. That's, you know, for anyone coming into the game last two years, be relevant in another 30. Talk mm-hmm. to me when it's the year, you know, 2042 and let me know how relevant you are in the game that people are calling you an icon or whatever the fuck platform is around in 2042. You know, try that. Yeah, exactly. Like take whoever's an icon right now, like hang in the, in the pocket, like, uh, you know, for another 20 years, very difficult. So that's yeah. why you got to tip your hat to a guy like Matt Gary, who's still in it. Um, how about Lane Norton? I'm trying to think of a good word. I would say progression. Um, Lane, Lane, someone like I've, I've seen him, like when I first started bodybuilding, even before powerlifting, Lane was around and uh, kind of seen him progress and go through like kind of different eras. There was a powerlifting phase. Uh, well, there's a bodybuilding phase, then there's a powerlifting phase, then there's like a, a kind of an educational phase. He was going through a lot of injuries and kind of like rediscovering himself and, and stuff like that. So I've seen him essentially grow from a, from a young adult into a man in that period of time, like as I have too. And uh, just like this increase in maturity, increase in like self-awareness, like what he's capable of putting out to the industry what his desires are, like stuff like that. It's really cool to see him competing still, 
healthy, like loving training, uh, all that stuff like brings me a lot of joy. It's, um, and yeah, by the way, like when, when I talked to him about like you guys, the guys, previous guys, when he first came around the open that he had battles with, and he talks about you guys now with what you guys have done since then. Like he says it with pride, like these fellas have really, you know, they did their thing. It's weird how, like when you're in the moment and you're all battling for the same thing, you're, you're like sporting rivals. But when that moment passes and everyone kind of goes in their all different directions, you hope for the best for that guy. Cause you've been there and you're like, when he does well, you're like, all right, one of us. One of the people from my era, do okay, hats off my mid. You know, like it's uh, this is what I tell people sometimes when they're on a podcast and they're in the first phase, when they're in the moment with those guys that are all battling for the same thing. I'm like, in 10 years, you'll feel differently when you see that. And then <laughs> you don't know me. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. Um, but to your point in terms of progression, you know, he was at a time when he was on bodybuilding.com doing videos and in the forums doing Q and A's to all the different social media to um, now like he was on Joe Rogan and shit mm. or even bigger than that. He was on King of Lifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, how's that, has that hundred million dollar salary with Spotify treating you? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. That's Spotify money. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's kind of like not like, obviously he's not as old as Matt Gary and been around as long, but he's progressed like that. Yeah, very difficult to stay relevant in the social media space. One thing in the sport, but actually to have adapted and keep reinventing yourself, like you said, in and riding those waves. Because look how fickle social media in the public is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, he's just only gotten bigger, and he's still doing all these podcasts and still being able to adapt. You know, it's funny we were talking when he came up to Toronto, and um, he was saying he's had to do a couple posts where he's like, like somebody in the social media space with a following says something about nutrition comes out of the pocket and lane does those myth busting posts and and sometimes he'll go if it's like a, someone who's in nutrition and mm -hmm. it's something stupid and they're pushing something stupid like calories in calories out isn't doesn't work it's actually and they say something like the makeup of your gut which is like a factor but so much calories in calories out like is is the biggest right and mm -hmm. lane's like you're spreading, you're taking something small, making it something big, pretending whatever the shit. And he'll go in on you and, and just, he'll go in. And those get tons of traction. And um, sometimes if it's somebody he likes, he starts a video with, fuck, I hate having to do this. <laughs> he goes, he goes, oh, this sucks. And then, and then he goes, he goes, oh, this sucks. Then he goes in on the person, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I told him when we were hanging, I'm like, dude, you know how many times? Because uh, I know he listens to the podcast and I'm like, I kind of hesitate, like, I'm about to talk about nutrition. Like we did earlier, like we were talking about nutrition and I shit you not every single time. I'm like, I just, I, I fucking don't want to wake up the next day and lane. Like, oh, this sucks. I hate to have to do this. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm like, I'd be like, my man, I'm not even in fitness, man. I'm just I'm like, you know, like I'm, you don't got to do this. But, uh, but anyways, um, I'm sure like he hears so much, but yeah. Um, so Lynn Nort, how about Ashton Rouska? Ashton, like I used to feel such like animosity toward him, like, like this rivalry, like, you know, like that dark horse with like the you know, David and Goliath kind of thing, like untouchable levels of strength. Like you see him in person, he's just like muscles on muscles on muscles, almost intimidation really, uh, in like a very like animalistic kind of way. Um, and I feel more like just a, a friendship with him now, you know, like, I think I feel like I missed a lot of the signs that he was 
trying to send me of just like, Hey, I'm another dude who's lifting in the same weight class as you. Great job on that lift. You know, like he would comment on all my stuff, like nice lift. And I would see those comments and I was thinking, this guy's trying to get in my head. You know, he's just, <laughs> he's just trying to make sure like, I always remember like he's on my, you know, he's in my radar. Um, but I think it was just him saying like, good job, you know, like just being genuinely Ashton. So I think about him differently these days than, than I used to. Maybe that's that little phasic thing. Like we're not rivals right now. And, and I can be excited about his lifts and I can feel just a little bit more kinship for some of the comments that he sent me and like some of the conversations that we've had in kind of a nicer light than, than I did before. There's some growing up for me. Well, it's a, you know, I don't even know if it's necessarily growing up so much as like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like you were both vying for the same thing. You both clashed and, and go and a sporting rivalry is different. It's, it's not necessarily when you're in the grind every day and you're doing something like weightlifting motivation is big because it's a monotonous endeavor and it's daily repeat. And sometimes you need some kind of like the dogs are on your heels, you know, and, and they're at you and like, I don't know. I, I know what you mean to your point where you don't want it to be unhealthy, where you start getting too negative or whatever, but you're good at, and I think this does come with age compartmentalizing when that's done, we're no mm-hmm. longer sporting rivals yeah. move on and realize that was just because we're sporting rivals. And you actually have, you're able to pull back after it's all said and done and be like, we're done. That's done. It's like when you see boxers who literally fight each other mm-hmm. later on in life, when Ali Form and Joe Frazier get together for a documentary and you see it as they're like in their fifties and they can now sit down and talk. Whereas previously you could put them in the same room. Mm-hmm. You couldn't put them in the same room. It would, it would be, it would be bad. It's that, that is to be able to turn that on and off is difficult. Maybe that is something you develop as you go on in life. Yeah. But it is, um, dude, it's kind of cool. Cause you've been in so many battles with so many big names, right? Yeah, so many stories. For sure. <laughs> uh, I feel really lucky, actually. Oh, I mean, you're just about to, and uh, we'll go back to the name game in a second. We always diverge a little bit, but you're about to enter into another hotbed of battles. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a murderer's row. I was just talking to somebody at the gym, and they're like, when you're at Worlds and you said, this is a mur- 93 kilo class is a murderer's row. And here we go, a fucking get 105s was like three to four guys who all broke the open world record neck and neck. And you are right back into this all over again, 93 kilo class. Bryce, you are always in the hotbed. So it's lucky for you. When you look back, you'll have plenty yeah. of moments. Um, all right. Going back to the name game, Russell or he. Uh, bright. He, I think he was limiting himself being at 83. And I just saw him put up a monster total at that meet in South Korea, uh, where he weighed in as a full 90. Um, so I think he's finally giving himself some room to grow and I'm excited to see what he's going to do, uh, giving himself some extra body weight to play with. I just think what he did pull three fifty or something like that, which is huge, uh, well-rounded lifter, a lot of muscle mass, uh, just potential. He, um, and it's interesting. He, because he's been on top for so long, like since 2019, he was establishing himself as the number one, 83, 82 and a half. Mm-hmm. And it's been him ever since now we're in 2023. And then moving up a weight class, hit the biggest 90 kilo total. Um, he's been on top for so long. Now is the quote unquote villain arc that he's like the Chicago Bulls. He's like <laughs> the Yankees. Here's the thing when you're the Bulls or the Yankees. 
extremely popular. Their merchandise would sell out. Bulls uniforms, Yankee uniforms, and all the rest of it uh, would sell out like crazy because they're so popular because they're so dominant. But because they're so popular and dominant, some people can't wait for them to lose. Yeah. And cheer, like the underdog story, cheer mm-hmm. for the other guy to beat you. And for now sure. he's starting to experience that. Same with Taylor Atwood, starting to experience that where it's like, too good for too long. This is just the way it is. Yeah. Well, because it's boring, right? No one wants to see the same person win uh, all the time. Like, I think one of the things that's exciting about sports is upsets and, you know, people coming out of nowhere and crazy shit happening. Like, that's exciting. And so if, if the same person's winning or the same team's winning all the time, it just kind of gets a little boring. Even if they're doing world record performances, you know, breaking world records, um, people like to see upsets. Um, I got a couple more names, but while we're on this topic, I was going to ask you these questions after name game, but let's keep it flowing real quick. What's on my head. Did you see yourself as the, as the, the dark horse? Because you often in these, whether it was Vrzbecki, whether it was Rouska, whether like whatever, going into these 93s, because um, you're the one moving up from 90 now and, and they've posted some big totals. Is that how you really identify? And do you like that? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing my best not to focus on other lifters and like, how am I going to stack up? How are things going to gonna go competition wise? But I'm not the guy who won worlds last year. Um, I'm not the guy who won nationals last year, you know? So it would be just looking at the odds. It would be an outside shot for me to win. Um, you know, I don't have a world record in the 93s, you know, so I am coming from the outside. I'll absolutely say that. Do you feel like though, like for instance, you know, there have been people who have said this before, Randy Couture, who was like the internal, every time he had a match, he was an underdog and people asked him like, how do you feel about that? And he's like, I prefer it mm-hmm. because you know, guys like Russell, some guys revel in the pressure. And Russell says like, this kind of pressure is a gift. I love that kind of pressure. Cause that means all eyes on me mm-hmm. on the flip side, guy like Randy Couture is like, I prefer all eyes on the other guy. I prefer, let him carry the pressure. Let him carry it. When I show up, I got no pressure. People want, people expect the other guy to win. Mm-hmm. Now I, I just it, let me operate in darkness. And when I hit the platform, you'll see it. Is yeah. that kind of, um, do you prefer that or yeah. some people do you? Okay. Yeah, I do prefer that for sure. Uh, like the less I get in my own head, the better, you know, the more pressure someone else takes, the better off I'll be, you know, like, I think I would perform best if IPF worlds was just my gym on a normal day, you know, and we just all get together and just lift in the gym and just have some judges who are sitting, drinking, drinking some coffee on the side and giving everyone whites and red lights. That would be fantastic. Uh, the most we can reduce the pressure, I think the better I perform. So maybe that's a skill set I have to do better developing is like, how do you actually perform when you are forced to have pressure? Well, I mean, you have though, because let's talk about this is my net leads to my next question is um, you've had some upset wins at the biggest, of big matchups and you versus Christopher's Becky, you versus Ashton Rouska, you ver- like uh, all of your different wins. What ranks the highest for you as of now? In terms of satisfied win, like that one, I really am proud of. Yeah. Um, I think the 2018 win for gold at Worlds in Calgary, um, that would rank the highest for me. Um, Because 
as, as sweet as the other wins were, um, I had to watch both Ashton and Kristoff miss a third deadlift that they would have won. Um, if they had gotten that deadlift, you know, so it wasn't like under my control quite as much. So I would say those were like less sweet than the 2018 gold. Now that leads me back to the name game in Christoph Brzebecki. Mm-hmm. What will we'll be? I don't know. I just, I don't know what happened to him. Like right. what happened to him? Arian, uh, do you know? Do you, do you have the answer here? You know, for sure. What do you mean? Like is he, what happened is to he still competing? Like he, he did he hop on juice? Is, is he just like, you know, chasing a gigantic deadlift? He's still like a three lift powerlifter. It's great for anyone listening. Cause I know again, while Arian's looking this up, cause I know again that, um, yeah, the cycle in powerlifting is pretty quick. Christoph Rizbecki was the 93 kilo world champion several times in a row, ran a dynasty as the 93 kilo world champion. The first 93 moved up to 105 in a stack division, won the 105 in 2017, then um, came to defend 2018. And that's when Bryce upset him for the win in another stacked class. The battle of the 105s in 2017, battle of the 105s 2018, probably the biggest hyped battles of both those world championships, at least in the men's side. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christopher is Becky right up in the mix. And then he was gone. And yeah. uh, and in his prime, he's still a young man, absolutely crazy strong. Mm-hmm. And to your point, if he hopped on the sauce, I think he did some untested meets. Um, obviously, he didn't come out saying, hey, I'm on the sauce now. But his lifts are freaking insane. I think 500 kilo deadlift or something like that. Insane. Yeah. Insane. I mean, the guy's crazy strong and he's coming out of Poland. Uh, English isn't his first language. Talked to him here and there at worlds, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, like through sign language when he was like, I'm tired. He uses the, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're kind of like the, the, the old yeah. school, like hungry, you rub your belly type mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. where we try to talk to each other. So you could never have him on the podcast, but um, yeah, I'm not sure, man. I'm yeah. not sure what happened to him. But what is your memories of him when you think when you think of him in your head? When I think of him, like uh, like untouchable, you know, he had this camera crew around him, like could have been walking around with his halo, you know, for 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 my perception of him. Um, just seemed to be like have such a crazy amount of bracing strength, like you know, in the same way that you see John Hack kind of like bend down to the bar and, and pick up four hundred kilos you know, kind of that same thing. Like, I'm just going to put my hands on the bar. I'm going to pull up, you know, 370 kilos or something like that. Very little like outward exertion of effort and kind of just like mysterious. I think that language gap lends to some of the stuff. Like I'm not able to talk to this person and that would probably help bridge some of this gap, but it just, just mysterious, you know, like what's his training? Like, you know, where does his strength come from? Like what motivates him? you know, what's he going to do? Just that language gap really helps prevent some of that stuff from, from being a little bit more like, Oh, this is a human being just like me. Who's just training in another gym on the other side of the world. He like almost epitomized being like the Terminator. Like Mm -hmm. I, I I mean, first off his body was impossible. Yeah. It was impossible. Look at my man here. Okay. Well, you're not doing too bad yourself there. Playboy. (laughs) All right. We're warming up. Um, but no, his, his body was like impossible. When you do those shirtless picks, the peaks on his bicep, it looked like a freaking bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. And then 
with the language barrier, you didn't talk a lot, but even then he was this stereotypical, like Eastern European tough where I remember him posting a picture with his newborn son mm-hmm. and, the, and completely stone faced, not a smile <laughs> at all. And in the caption was something like never been happier. Yeah. And it was like, it was like, this guy is out of a movie. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. Like to, I, I know what you mean where you couldn't get to know him, know him the language barrier appeared, but even like just reading off of the body language or whatever, when you're chilling with them, it'd be like, I don't know if he likes me is indifferent or, mm-hmm. or if I'm annoying him or whatever, you know, yeah. it's, it's tough. But, um, Aaron, did you see, is he, is he competing? Is he, is he, is there any his, kind of indication? His last meet was November, 2021. So he has competed mm-hmm. somewhat recently, just not last year. Um, He's just been competing in other federations. So I see like WPC and XPC. So I don't know why he chose these different federations. But like some other story I heard too is I believe he was like running one of these federations in Poland. So I don't know if he was running like the WPC's like, you know, affiliate or if he was running like whichever other federation. And I think that became an issue also with IPF. I think he was trying to like fight against it with the IPF that he should be allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And Part of the reason that that rule, from what I've heard, that rule about not competing in non-WAD events, people think, oh, it's against USAPL. It uh, supposedly developed out of this because they thought maybe Christoph or other people would be able to circumvent the drug testing by going and competing elsewhere and doing other things and then like just hopping into IPF meet. So I think they did that to try and like stop him from going back and forth. So Mm -hmm. maybe at that point he decided I'm not going to do the IPF anymore and he's just been competing in these other feds. So I don't know if he's actually on juice or not his totals aren't like his delf has gone up but his other totals aren't like ridiculous he did like 941 at 98 kilos was his best meet in 2020. Mm. i mean that's that's a pretty that's a monster yeah but it's not like he's doing like you know all of a sudden going from a 900 kilo to a thousand kilo total no so. i got you you know you're right you're like like it, it's conceivable because he's that good like if he came over that's a 98 kilo. can you imagine he put on another five kilos of body weight he'd be like like uh ashton and bob and all those fellas he, maybe more he's almost there at 98 kilos it's a shame i want to like i want him to come back can yeah, we talk man. about keenan lee for a sec i just want to throw yes, like some praise to that insane specimen of a human being uh can't wait to see what he does huge lifts yeah it's it's crazy he came out of you know, he's another guy that conceivably came out of nowhere, like, cause he hadn't competed, um, on open powerlifting. If you did your research, there was no, nothing on him for like a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then for him to come out of nowhere against Ashton and Ashton's got a win on body weight, the last poll. And Ashton's like, Holy shit. We asked, we asked Ashton, this is just a couple of podcasts ago about like, did you know Keenan was waiting for you? Were you like, is this a setup? Who the hell is this guy? <laughs> and then, and, uh, cause it looked like a setup the way, like Ashton, why don't you come out? Oh, by yeah. the way, we have a monster waiting for you. Um, it Ashton said, he's like, I was in the back warm-up room. I'm warming up. And he goes, in the warm-up room, I looked across. I seen him. He seen me. And he's like, something about the way he was looking at me. <laughs> I knew he wasn't here to participate. He was here to uh-huh. compete. Yeah. You know, that, that different vibe where it's like, my man isn't here, just happy to be here. Mm-hmm. My man wants what I got. And he's like, mm-hmm. it's on. I knew it was on. I was like, really? Before it started, he goes, oh, yeah. I could tell the vibe in the room. Like something about you sit down like, oh, man, it's looking at me like, not like, not looking at me like, oh, wow, I'm a fan. I can't. He was looking at me like, you're the fucking guy, huh? It was like, you know, not rude, but (laughs) you could just tell. He was like, this is different. 
No, Ashton's been around enough competitors to know when he's competing against somebody. And he's like, no, this was, I knew this was going to be a comp. (laughs) This was not an exhibition lifting in South Africa, but uh, I mean, he won and um, all's well that ends well. But yeah, to your point, Keenan Lee finishing the year with the biggest total in the 110 kilo class. And there's guys like Bob Matthews and Ashton in the 110 Mm -hmm. kilo class. Yeah. Crazy. He's coming out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I love that. um, I think it was Ashton referred to him as some random Korean dude. Random Korean dude. Yeah. And he changed his Instagram name too. I love it. I love it. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Another name, Ray Williams. I have really fond memories. Uh, Speaking of announcing what you do a lot, I was able to announce his first thousand pound squat at Atlanta. I was on the the microphone for that live stream. Like commentating? Okay, yeah, yeah. Commentating, yeah. And that was a a really special moment just to see like the first person to ever squat a thousand, like historical performance, still historical. Um, I don't know whether Ray's highest totals are behind him or not. Uh, You know, he's dealt with some injuries and just like going through life, getting a PhD, like getting married. um, These are things that take a lot of time away from a lot of athletes, you know, a lot of like young athletes don't have to deal with a lot of that stuff. There's college, there's, you know, like eat, sleep, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever, you know, like you don't have like a real world stress. You don't have to like, you know, pay bills and, and, you know, go through, go through life. So as I said, I don't know if his best totals are behind him or ahead of him still. Um, but he's such a genuine dude and he, he walks his own path. You know, he doesn't feed into like, drama or rivalries or chasing numbers or anything like that. He's just, he's just Ray. Um, so I'm really happy that I got to compete when Ray was like on top, like what a role model for just like, holy shit levels of weight. Um, and really kind of showing like what raw powerlifting can be really, really huge, huge lifts. When I think of Ray, like, like I, when I think of certain people, it brings me back to eras in my, in my mind. And, um, for me, Ray is one of the epitome, like brings me back to the era before the USAPL IPF split mm-hmm. when we were all under like that whole, it brings me back to that where it was such a dominating figure where, you know, everyone had to watch when Ray lifted like that thousand pound squat to your point that made ESPN, the real ESPN, not the, not the Instagram account, but like ESPN. You know what I mean? Like, like the, like the news cycle, like people, you show up at work and people who aren't into powerlifting are talking about it. Yeah. And like, he was that guy. It was, um, it, it, I'm the room was packed when Ray would lift because everyone had to see what he was going to do. Yeah. Um, it was, it brings me back to that era and I could, it's crazy. I could feel it, man. At some points when I think about it, I could feel what I felt when it was happening. And it's like, you know, it's the nostalgia comes back, man. For sure. I, you yeah. know, it's, I'm, it's I'm feeling it right now. Like I, I, I can, dude, I can envision it. his squat. It just, he didn't even make the bar or he doesn't let, let me phrase it in the present tense. He doesn't even make the bar look heavy. You know, like he's talking to himself with a thousand pounds on his back. Like this is lightweight. Like I got yeah. this all day. I'm like, dude, can you focus on lifting for a second with a thousand pounds on your back? I just reposted that thousand pound squat. Um, and when he starts pacing and yelling at the bar, like he's yelling, you can't, the crowd's going crazy. You can't even hear what he's saying. He's yelling at the bar and he's pacing. Like he's a guy outside the bar about to scrap. Yeah. And it is a thousand pounds waiting for him. 
And everyone in the comments like that reposted it. It's it's a it's a squat from like six years ago or whatever the hell. And I mean, still get like in a day, 15,000 likes, uh, you know, however many comments and thousands of shares still to this day, people are like in the comments being like, holy shit, this is hype. Like, holy shit. Uh, you, people saying either people who hadn't seen it because they weren't around the time are like, oh, my God, this was wow, was this hype. And then people who had seen it because they were around the time being like, wow, does this bring me back memories? Yeah, like, yeah. whoa, does this ever bring it back? Um, and to your point about like commentating moments like that, it really that's really commentating you. You can remember it because you weren't the lifter. So you can, you have the outside looking in. It's easier to remember how you felt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you're literally like narrating it as it happens. I remember one time narrating Ray Williams at the world championships and saying, we are about to witness possibly the strongest man in history about to do his thing. Mm-hmm. And I paused and I heard myself say that. And I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, 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 I got the most amazing job in the world. First off, yeah. I'm 20 feet away from this man, and I'm about to see this live. But you just, you, you, you know, you feel those moments, and you'll never forget them, man. And Ray was a part of that, dude. Yeah, yeah. You get to be there for that. That's a really cool thing about being a commentator. Is like, I don't know. It's almost like you're helping them. Like you're helping make this a moment bigger than than it is. 100. Uh, Add to it. Immortalizing it. Yeah, exactly. Add, listen, if I watch a stream and certain things aren't being done, like historical context, but okay, so I normally talk like this. I get amped up. I get excited. So it's it's easy for me. But if I'm like, this is the, if I start getting into it, being like, having powerlifting knowledge helps, but saying, you know, this is a murderer's role of 93s. We have never seen this many gentlemen in the 105s all holding the total world record clashing and there can only be one. Mm-hmm. Who wants it? And you start talking like that. You do them justice. Yeah. When Otherwise, when you tune into the stream, I'm just watching people exercise. Mm-hmm. Tell me why this is special. So yeah. when I start dropping these facts, getting excited and be like, We've never seen this before. I don't know how many years until we're going to see it again. Mm-hmm. And then when you someone pulls it off, you tell them he's done it. He's battled back. The dark horses defeated Christopher Becky, the unbeatable. And you start saying like Bryce Lewis has done it. It, to your point, helps tell the story. And I've talked to commentators who are like, just let the lifting speak for itself. You know, you just say the name, the weight and you, it's like, no, mm-hmm. but no. And they try to, they want me, no, bring it down. Don't, don't. No, no, you don't got nothing to tell me. Like, yeah. like I listen to, I listen to tons of commentary and take notes on other sports. And I'm like, that's what I want to lean in towards. And I start driving notes on how they did certain uh, storytelling and, and drives and whatnot and tidbits. It's like, there is a way of, it's not just information, but it's also, cause sure shit, not a seminar, because there's nothing more boring, but there's also a way of giving context storylines he's coming back from this that or whatever she's coming back and then why is that significant you could help people be like fuck that was a moment yeah when you you know when when the olympics comes around every four years or something like that and and you're flipping channels you find some sport you've never seen or never watched before or something like that i think it's the stories that you really latch on to you know like because you don't have any context and i think a lot of people watching powerlifting are like if we ever want to grow the sport, like we want people to be watching this who aren't just 
the friends or mother and father of the people lifting. Like we want like true fans of the sport. It's the stories that I think people really latch onto. You know, you have to make it mean something, you know, why is this important to them? Why should you care? And, and that's, I think what the job of commentators really is. Well, yeah, exactly. You need to make it digestible. Otherwise it's just people squatting. Yeah. Um, so knowing your facts is good, but also bring and bringing in people could tell in the passion of your voice. I was talking to Arian about like, putting on content on TikTok. And now I'm putting on the lifts and some comments that other people made in the comments. And I was going to put on me commentating the lift, but I can't, it makes myself cringe. If I've seen the lift over and over, like when it's live stream, it's actually real. I'm actually excited in the moment. Oh my God. I don't know if he's going to hit this. When I already am taking a gym lift, I've already seen it. Uh, it's curated. I'm queuing it up and I'm going to comment over it and I have to fake. Mm -hmm. I can't fucking do it. Yeah. I'm like, I, I hear it and I got to be like, pretend like, wow, I can't believe when this is like the 13th <laughs> time I see in the video. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I can't do it. I can't do it, man. Like, this is not me. I'm talking now. The way I'm talking now is like the way I actually talk in real life. Yeah. And when people see me on streams, like, oh, he blah, blah, blah. Like, this is how I actually am, though. Mm -hmm. You know, when Chance was on here and he's like, I'm worried, man. I don't want you to burn out because I'm like, no, dog, this is me, though. Don't worry. This, this is, <laughs> I wake up and this is me my day to day. Don't worry. Yeah, I know this is you. Yeah. This yeah. So it's like, it's like, uh -huh. don't worry, I won't burn out. And, and I couldn't um, fake the TikTok type, like commentary over lifts type deal. I just saw, so I'd rather, I don't know. That's a tough one, but um, I got, I got one more name, but Irene, do you have any, or have I burned through the names that you're probably all thinking as well? I mean, you're pretty much covering all his uh, past and future rivals. Right. <laughs> um, I don't, well, this I'm is coming great. for Ray. I'm coming for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, what's cool too, is you and Ray will be together at PA Nats. Are yeah. you going to stick around to watch that? Uh, yeah, I'll be there through Monday. Okay, cool. Um, and also, uh, so last one, also blast from the past, Brett Gibbs. Uh, like cut short. Um, oh, that was a pun. <laughs> my bad, Brett. Clip it, clip it, Arian. That's that's don't let him explain himself. <laughs> Just yeah, there it is. It right there. Um, I feel like his rising star was cut short. Um, and, you know, this happens to a lot of athletes for a lot of different reasons, but I would have loved to see what a healthy Brett Gibbs would have been capable of with more training years. Um, and, you know, I know things change sometimes, but I know that dealing with injuries was just a huge part of whatever phase, the, the second phase of, of, uh, of his lifting. So great guy, great personality, good steward of the sport, and just wanted to see more lifting out of him. It's um like, again, people now might have missed the Brett Gibbs era, but he was a phenomenal talent. And I've, I mean, Russ has been on here several times and said, number one rival I've ever had is Brett. A lot of people these days forget because some people came in in the sport after Brett. I get it. Uh, Brett's not around, but he's like, Brett was the one guy that when I was facing him at times, I'd be like, I I don't know if I'm stronger than this guy mm -hmm. or, or better yet. I don't think I am. And I have to, I'm going to have to maneuver my way to this win. And, and obviously he did like, he lost to Brett, came back and beat Brett, but going in there, he's like, I don't know. I, I think Brett might be stronger than me. Mm -hmm. I just got to get attempt selection. Hope he misses. Hope I hit. 
And that's how she goes when it's close enough. Right. Mm. Um, Obviously they're close enough, but like he said, like in terms of a sporting rival, knowing that guy's out there walking this earth. And when we clash, if I want to be number one, it's him. He's like, it's been, it's been since Brett that I felt that. Yeah. You know, and he's hunting for it now and it'll it'll come eventually. It's how sports work, but he's like, yeah. People name other rivals that are more recent, but he's like, no, no, no. I think people are forgetting what Brett was to the sport. And people are just now starting to catch up to Brett's platform numbers, let alone his, I think he did. And I don't know if you remember, was it like 862.5 as an 83 in the gym or something crazy like that? It was, Brett's full end potential is insane. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what Russ is. 220 or 225 bench uh, out of him too, as an 83 is just like, and, and that was full range of motion, you know, like just muscling the bar up. Just so yeah. cool. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah. To Russ's point, he would see things like that. The training, here's a mock meet in the gym. And it was like 862.5 <laughs> and he's an 83 and, and Russ would be like, well, I mean, you know, when we, <laughs> you're, you, you got to tell yourself, fuck yeah. me, this is going to be tough. There's this a lot is of going to be around the world. It's, it's, uh, even more so these days, I don't know whether it's a bias or, or something like that, but it just seems like there's more talent to go around more countries with great lifters, um, you know, all percentages closer to the world record than things used to be where there used to be just more, I don't know, standout talent, a few more outliers. And now like the whole pool has risen a lot higher. It seems that way to you guys. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I guess as the sport's growing, we're reaching a bigger and bigger population. So more chance to get those, you know, people that are very uh, elite and also maybe a lot of people finding out the sport sooner and starting earlier. So by the time they're hitting their 20s, they're already like, you know, hitting some big numbers. So that's why yeah. we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, like uh, New Zealand, you know, Gibbs is gone, but you got Carlina coming. And then in Europe, you got, you know, the UK, France, Italy, Spain, all kind of coming up. Of course, you got US and Canada, pl- plenty of potential there. So it just continues to grow. Yeah, I do think because of the social media, people are starting finding it a lot younger. Like I found, I was weightlifting my whole life, but I found powerlifting in my 20s. But mm-hmm. like with social media, this is like back before like Instagram and all the rest of it. With social media, you could find it super young. And you have people like Emil Krastev in the 93s coming out of Bulgaria. Look at the 93s, for an example. Bulgaria, Sweden, a freaking French lifter who was 18, hit 800 kilos as a 93. He's 18 he's a sub junior and he's eating 800 kilos that's when i was talking to lane lane was like dude when i was a 93 um i was freaking i hit 800 kilos and i was like super happy about it what's this in yeah yeah you know we're gonna we gotta wrap it up you were just messaging bryce that i actually gotta wrap it up as well <laughs> thanks ryan <laughs> ryan doesn't you know, know how to multitask I, he just I reads can't. it <laughs> I can't read it and, and do all this at the same time. It is, it is terrible, but um, I do got to wrap it up as well. But listen, um, that was the last name, Brett Gibbs. Before we let you go though, Bryce, where do people get a hold of you for coaching and, and to follow you on the social media? And if you want to give a shout out to anybody. Yeah. Um, I put out training thoughts on my Instagram at Bryce underscore TSA. You can find us for coaching uh, intermediate beginner advanced world-class athlete. We take everyone at the strengthathlete.com. Perfect. Um, listen, everybody listening, whatever platform you want, please do subscribe. Please give us high ratings, tag us. We will repost and it is always appreciated. Good luck, Bryce, in your training. I will see you at PA, PA Nats, my friend. Do you drink, sir? I do not. I just don't like the taste of alcohol, but I'll tell you what, let's share a coffee. 
Let's have a fucking coffee, my friend. <laughs> we'll have a copy of PA Dots. I look forward to seeing you again. Uh, it's been a hot minute. It's probably been one of the world championships, probably. I'm Holy smokes. Yeah. A lot has happened since then. Anyways, until next time, six pack lap at six up, and we are out. <laughs>